Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Ellen, and I'm struggling to come up with a new random introduction this week because I didn't pick a random animal formula the way my co-host Katie did. (laughs) Katie did? I should have introduced you as a Katie did. Maybe I'll start picking random insects. Oh, I don't like this turn of events. But I could call you a Katie bug. Oh, for fuck's sake. Let's just fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the first half of chapter 26, seen and unforeseen, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Hermione tries to explain the intricacies of the jealous female brain, but gives up when she realizes who she's talking to. The Gryffindor-Quidditch team is so appalling, we're actually glad Oliver Wood is gone so he doesn't have to witness it. Fred and George are more shocked by the discovery of Ginny's sneaky broom-stealing than they should be, considering their shared genetics. The publication of Harry's interview leads to a Great Hall brouhaha. Umbridge underestimates the overwhelming temptation caused by the Forbidden. And the bewitched copy of the Quibbler is all fun and games until it turns into the intro of a Broadway musical. During episode 164, Dung, Umbridge, Morons, Ministry, our Potter pondering was, what are your thoughts on Harry's interview and the Quibbler not being included in the movie? Hey guys, it's Jackson here with my Potter pondering for this week. What do I think of Harry's interview and the Quibbler being left out? Well, pretty much the same thing. I wanted the interview there. I wanted to see what the Quibbler looks like. And I wanted to see Umbridge's reaction. God, we're getting so built in these movies. Honestly. Yeah, that's it from me. Short and sweet. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is actually with this week's Potter Pondering that I pretty much answered last week. But I'll say it again. How I feel about them leaving out Harry's interview and the Quibbler is angry. Not a little bit, but a lot. They were more concerned about making the movie bite-sized and digestible in an hour and 30 minutes of viewing time than inserting pivotal points to the story into the film. But hey, we got montages. They could have put that shit in the montage. They put in other random shit, even made up some shit that Umbridge was banning. Why they couldn't put this in there? It's pivotal to the story. It got the magical community on Harry and Dumbledore's side as much as they could. But hey, we just supposed to know what happened, which we did. Sorry if you didn't read the books. Glad you're listening to this podcast where you get all the information that you didn't get if you just watched the movies. God damn. Hello, this is Zach Thurston with my Potter Pondering. What I think of them leaving out Harry's interview with the Quibbler, I thought that was such a vital piece in story building in the book because obviously it really goes into detail about you know the death eaters that were involved and you know everything that harry saw and how they just completely left that out of the movie really doesn't help build that story at all especially with umbridge because i felt like him doing that behind umbridge's back and how mad she got and her retaliation for him doing that without her notice from you know banning him from hogsmeade and you know it's just there was a lot involved in that in the book and I also thought it helped build kind of Luna's story as well. 
you know, her talking about how much money they made off of the Harry's interview by selling it to the Daily Prophet and, you know, the trip that her and her dad were going to take. So I just thought, you know, it definitely would have been a, a cool story building piece if they would have included that in the movie. So that's mine. Thank you. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my pondering for this week. And this goes along with what I talked about last week, so I'll try not to repeat myself too much. But the movie leaving out the Quibbler article completely waters down the control that the ministry had over Hogwarts. Like, in the movie, obviously, it shows that there's so many more rules than what number they actually get to in the book. But you don't actually see just how much. I mean, there's the montage. But they were already controlling what the teachers could and could not discuss with their students and whether they could form clubs or groups, which is ridiculous. But now they were even controlling the news media that the students had access to. They were taking away their freedom of speech. There was no rule against Harry speaking about his experiences outside of school grounds, and yet he was punished for doing so and lost 50 house points and got detention for, what was it, like a week? Umbridge had way too much power over the lives of the students and teachers, and it was all because Fudge was a coward and refused to see what was right in front of him. He used Harry, Dumbledore, and Sirius as their scapegoats to all the problems, and it's despicable. I do love, though, how proud Hermione was of her plan and how stupid Umbridge was to think that banning the Quibbler would actually stop students from reading and discussing it. No one really cared about the Quibbler or really knew what it was or knew that Harry had done this article in it until she banned it and brought attention to the fact that there was something in that magazine that she did not want the students to see. What an idiot. Thank you so much for your responses. Mm-hmm. Our trivia question last week was, which decree in the book allows Umbridge to sack Trelawney? It was Educational Decree number 23, which gave her the power as High Inquisitor to check on all the teachers and make sure that they were up to scratch. Congratulations goes to Megan Slater! Woohoo! Now that I managed to get the episode posted at the correct time, it seems all is right in the world, and Megan answered first. Yep. Will this be the start of a new streak? We shall see. For now, let's dive into the second half of Chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen, and the corresponding film scenes that we already talked about in a previous episode, since they took a very small portion of this chapter and included it in one of the movie's earlier montages. Chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen, Part 2 Harry heads upstairs and finds his dormitory empty. He rests his head against the cool glass of the window to soothe his scar, then gets ready for bed feeling slightly sick, but rolls over and falls asleep immediately. He's standing in a dark room lit by candles and is clenching the back of the chair in front of him. His fingers look like large pale spiders against the dark velvet of the chair, beyond which is a kneeling man in black robes. In a high, cold, angry voice, Harry tells the robed man that it seems he has been badly advised. The kneeling man is trembling and begs for his pardon, and Harry calls him Rookwood, 
telling him that he doesn't blame him in that cold, cruel voice. He releases the chair and walks around to Rookwood, asking him if he's sure of his facts. Rookwood insists that he is since he used to work in the department. Harry insists that Avery told him Bode would be able to remove it, and Rookwood clarifies that Bode never would have been able to, and would have known he wouldn't have been able to, which is likely why he fought so hard against Malfoy's imperious curse. Harry tells Rookwood to stand up, and he quickly does, though only up to a halfway bow. Harry says that he has done well, but also acknowledges that he has wasted months on fruitless schemes, but they will start again, and he will need Rookwood's help. Rookwood agrees in relief and is dismissed with the request that he send Avery to him. He scurries out, leaving Harry alone in the dark room. He turns toward a wall and sees an old cracked mirror and moves to it, his reflection growing larger and clearing as he approaches, showing a face wider than a skull with red eyes. Yelling, no! Harry flails around in bed, becoming entangled in his bed hangings, as a nearby voice also yells, asking what? Harry is terrified he's going to see the white skull-like face again, but then hears Ron's voice tell him to stop acting like a maniac so he can get him untangled. He asks Harry if someone has been attacked again, worrying about his dad and the snake, but Harry gasps in response that everyone's fine, though Avery is in trouble since Voldemort is extremely angry that he gave him the wrong information. He mentions that he's back on track now since Rookwood is helping him. Ron wonders what Harry is talking about, asking if he just saw you-know-who, and Harry explains that he was you-know-who and that he was with Rookwood, who just escaped Azkaban and learned that Bode couldn't ever move something and that Malfoy's dad had put him under the Imperious Curse to force him to. Ron and Harry both realize that it has got to be the weapon, but they can't continue talking freely since Dean and Seamus open the dormitory door and come in. Ron quietly asks Harry about being you-know-who and starts to say that he's got to tell someone, but Harry cuts him off to insist that he doesn't have to tell anyone since he wouldn't have seen it at all if he could do occlumency. He gets back into bed and turns his back to Ron. He feels his scar burn and knows that somewhere Avery is being punished. Harry and Ron wait until break the next morning to tell Hermione what happened so they can make sure they aren't overheard. Hermione figures that must be why they killed Bode, since whatever defensive spells are around the weapon must be what sent him to St. Mungo's, but since he was recovering, they couldn't let him get better and risk him telling anyone what actually happened. Harry starts talking about how Lucius Malfoy was hanging around the ministry on the day of Harry's hearing, but Hermione interrupts him when she blurts out the name Sturgis. Ron is confused, and Hermione explains that Sturgis Podmore was arrested for trying to get through a door, and she thinks Lucius must have gotten to him too. Maybe he knew he was at the door under Moody's invisibility cloak and put the Imperious curse on him then, so that they could force him to try and steal the weapon for Voldemort, and instead he got caught and sent to Azkaban. Hermione confirms with Harry that Rookwood has now told Voldemort how to get the weapon, and Harry tells her that that's what it sounded like. Hermione nods, then abruptly reminds Harry that he shouldn't have seen that at all because he's supposed to be closing his mind. Harry insists that he knows, but before he can say anything else, Hermione tells him she thinks he should forget what he saw and put a bit more effort into occlumency. He doesn't talk to her for the rest of the day, which ends up being a pretty bad one, since everyone seems to be talking about the scape Death Eaters or Gryffindor's disastrous performance in the Quidditch match and Filch even has to ban Weasley as our king from being sung in the corridors. 
It doesn't get any better as the week progresses either. Harry gets two more D's in potions. Hagrid still might get sacked, and he can't stop himself from dwelling on the dream, though he also refuses to bring it up with Ron and Hermione again and really wishes he could talk to Sirius about it. Since he can't, he just pushes it to the back of his head, though thanks to occlumency lessons, that's no longer a secure place. A couple of weeks after the dream about Rookwood, he finds himself kneeling on the floor of Snape's office, trying to fight off a stream of memories, when Snape stops and asks Harry about a memory concerning a man kneeling in the middle of a darkened room. He wants to know how Harry knows about that man in that room, and Harry has to admit that he had a dream about them. Snape lowers his voice and asks Harry if he knows why they are there. When Harry responds that it's to learn occlumency, Snape expresses his frustration that he doesn't seem to have made any progress and wonders how many other dreams Harry has had of the Dark Lord. Harry lies that it was only that one, but Snape narrows his eyes and accuses him of enjoying the dreams, saying that they maybe make him feel special and important. Harry tries to deny this and Snape coldly tells him that he isn't special or important and it isn't his job to find out what the Dark Lord is saying to his Death Eaters. Before Harry can stop himself, he shoots back to Snape that no, that's his job. Snape agrees and tells him to start again. Harry screws up his face in concentration and though he can see memories of a hundred Dementors sweeping towards him across the lake, he can also see Snape growing clearer. He raises his wand and yells, Protego! It forces Snape's wand up and away from Harry, who is now being bombarded with memories that are not his own. A hooked-nosed man shouting at a cowering woman as a small, dark-haired boy cries in the corner. A greasy-haired teenager sitting alone in a dark room using his wand to shoot down flies. And a girl laughing as a scrawny boy tries to mount a bucking broom. Snape yells, Enough! and Harry feels as though he's been pushed in the chest as he staggers backward and breaks something on the shelves behind him. Snape repairs the potion and tells Harry that that was certainly an improvement. He suggests they try again and they ready themselves, though Harry's mind is teeming with what he is sure are memories from Snape's childhood. He isn't able to clear his mind quickly enough, and when Snape again casts Legilimens, he finds himself hurtling along the corridor to the Department of Mysteries, and this time the door is open, and he makes it through it at last, now inside a black-walled and floored circular room, lit with blue-flamed candles. The walls are lined with more doors, and he isn't sure which one to take next. At the sound of Snape yelling his name, Harry opens his eyes and finds himself flat on his back with no idea how he got that way. Snape asks him for an explanation, but Harry doesn't know what happened since he's never seen that part of the department before. The potions master tells him that he isn't working hard enough, calling him lazy and sloppy. He starts to say something about the Dark Lord, but Harry interrupts him to ask him why he calls Voldemort the Dark Lord since he's only ever heard Death Eaters call him that. Before Snape can answer, they hear a woman scream somewhere outside the room and look around. When the woman screams again, Snape strides out his door, his wand at the ready, and Harry follows. The screams are coming from the entrance hall and grow louder as Harry approaches the stone steps leading up from the dungeon. The hall is packed with students who came out of the Great Hall to find out what is happening. Harry pushes through the crowd and finds Professor Trelawney standing in the middle of the entrance hall, holding her wand in one hand and an empty sherry bottle in the other, looking like she's completely falling apart. She shrieks that this cannot be happening and she refuses to accept it, 
and a high girlish voice chides her about not knowing this was coming, despite being incapable of making predictions. Trelawney again howls that she can't sack her. She's been there 16 years and Hogwarts is her home. Professor Umbridge informs her that it was her home until an hour ago when the minister countersigned the order for her dismissal. She tells her to remove herself from the hall as she's embarrassing them, but also watches the entire scene with gloating enjoyment. Harry hears other sobs to his left and sees Parvati and Lavender crying, then hears footsteps. Professor McGonagall is breaking away from the spectators and approaches Professor Trelawney to comfort her. She tells her to calm down, blow her nose, and says that she's not going to have to leave Hogwarts. Umbridge interrupts to ask what authority McGonagall has to make that statement and receives an answer from Dumbledore as he walks in through the oak front doors. Umbridge gives an unpleasant laugh and tells him that she's afraid he doesn't understand the position she has there. She pulls out a scroll and announces that it's an order of dismissal signed by herself and the minister that under the terms of Educational Decree Number 23, the High Inquisitor has the power to sack any teacher that isn't performing up to the ministry's standard. Harry is surprised to see that Dumbledore is still smiling as he tells Umbridge that she is correct, that as High Inquisitor, she has the right to dismiss his teachers. He then goes on to tell her that she does not have the authority to send them away from the castle, as that power still resides with the headmaster, and it is his wish that Professor Trelawney continues to live at Hogwarts. Professor Trelawney gives a little wild laugh and hiccup, and tells the headmaster that she will leave and seek her fortune elsewhere, but Dumbledore sharply insists that he wishes her to remain there. He then asks McGonagall to escort Sybil back upstairs, and Professor Sprout also hurries forward to give her a hand. Professor Flitwick charms her trunk to rise into the air and follows behind them. An irate Professor Umbridge wonders what Dumbledore is going to do when she appoints a new divination teacher who needs her lodgings, and Dumbledore pleasantly informs her that that won't be a problem since he already found a new divination teacher and he would prefer the ground floor. Umbridge shrilly tries to challenge Dumbledore appointing a new teacher, but he cuts her off to remind her that Educational Decree Number 22 states that the Ministry has the right to appoint a candidate only if the headmaster is unable to find one. He announces that he is happy to say he succeeded and asks to introduce her. He turns toward the open front doors and Harry hears hooves. There is some shocked murmuring as people move out of the way to clear a path and through the mist comes a figure that Harry has seen before in the Forbidden Forest. White blonde hair, blue eyes, and the head and torso of a man joined to the palomino body of a horse. Dumbledore tells Umbridge that this is Ferenz, and he thinks she'll find him suitable. Just to recap, the earlier movie section that would technically line up with this chapter, it happened as Harry and Cho join a crowd out in the courtyard, where a distraught Trelawney is backing into a large trunk as Filch brings another one over to her and sets it down in front of her. Umbridge strides out of the castle towards her, and Trelawney tries to approach her and runs into the luggage. She makes her way around the suitcase and gasps out that she's been there 16 years, calling Hogwarts her home and saying she can't do this. Umbridge holds up a piece of paper and insists that she can. As Trelawney begins to whimper, McGonagall rushes through the crowd of students to comfort her. 
Umbridge asks McGonagall if there is something she would like to say. McGonagall informs her that there are several things she would like to say. But before she can say any of them, the doors open and Dumbledore dramatically pauses in the open doorway before striding into the courtyard himself and asking Professor McGonagall to escort Sybil back inside. She thanks him profusely as they walk past him, and then Umbridge speaks up to begin to remind Dumbledore about Educational Decree Number 23. The headmaster cuts her off to tell her that she has the right to dismiss his teachers, but she does not have the authority to banish them from the grounds. Umbridge confidently tells him, for now, and Dumbledore glances around without responding before turning to walk back into the castle, yelling at the students about having studying to do. I just realized that it's actually Educational Decree 23 in the movie also. What? So this was before they just started making up decrees willy-nilly in yeah. the movie. It so actually lined up. Before they just started throwing numbers at a dartboard right? and like, fuck it. Educational Decree number 7015. Harry's not allowed to breathe. Well. That's what I assume that one would be. If Umbridge could. <laughs> <laughs> she would have. So I think that this is pretty interesting because... We already talked about how this was earlier in the thing because it got included in the montage. So at mm -hmm. least it was included. It was in there. And it was very similar. Yeah. Significantly less detailed. But the minor changes that they did make, even though they weren't huge changes, they really affected the characters. Yeah. And I don't like it. We rarely do. I could get <laughs> over them putting it early. Sure. I don't like that, but I can get over it. Yeah. There's going to be a couple of rants in this part, I think. We rant here? A little bit. And we invite others to also. We do. <laughs> it's part of the fun. But this half of the book chapter starts off with Harry going upstairs to bed, his head starting to hurt from all of the attention from the day, I'm sure, and having to repeat his experiences, and then not to mention the fact that it's probably always hurting from occlumency. Mm -hmm. The hullabaloo, if you will. Yeah. So he literally presses his forehead against the window glass, since it's cold outside and the glass yeah. is cold, and it makes his head feel better. Sometimes that's just heaven right there. Right? <laughs> He's feeling slightly sick, but he gets in bed, rolls over, and falls asleep immediately, finding himself... In a dark room, lit by candles, looking down at this dude that's kneeling in front of him, mentions that his fingers look like large, pale spiders. This is getting weirder and weirder. Right? And then in a high, cold voice, he tells the man that's kneeling that it seems he's been badly advised. The kneeling man starts to tremble. Mm -hmm. He is clearly scared out of his mind, starts begging for his pardon. Like you do. Harry refers to him as Rookwood and says he doesn't blame him. So that's got to be somewhat relieving. However, he says it in a very cold, cruel voice. So it's also probably not. I think that would be even more disconcerting if I was Rookwood, honestly. Yeah, probably. But he walks around to Rookwood, asks him if he's sure of his facts. And Rookwood tells him that he is because he used to work in the department. So things are starting to click now what's going on here. Harry insists that Avery told him Bode would be able to remove it. And Rookwood's just like, no, there's no way. And Bode would have known that, which is probably why he fought so hard against the imperious curse that Malfoy put on him. Dun-dun-dun! Mm -hmm. You guys were learning stuff! So we definitely recognize the name Bode. Yes. Especially as we know that he just died. From the Devil's Snare. Yes. 
And now we know the thing that put him in that situation had to have something to do with Lucius Malfoy, Nazi von Douchebag the first, putting mm-hmm. the Imperious curse on him. Yep. Harry tells Rookwood to stand up. He does. I mean, you don't say no. But like not all the way. He's kind of hunched over, <laughs> clearly afraid to look at him, doesn't want to show any sign of disrespect. He's probably also super fucked up from being in the band as long as he was. Yeah. This has all just got to be super intimidating. But at least him being in the band means he didn't betray Voldemort. True. So he probably has less to fear than some other people. Yeah, but he's still going to cower. Certainly at this point, he has less to fear than Avery, who's now the one that's being blamed for giving him misinformation. Oh, Avery's fucked. Mm. Harry tells him that he's done well. But also throws in a little passive aggressive comment about how he's wasted months for nothing. Because that's some bullshit. Yeah. Don't waste my time. Damn it. Then he says that they're going to start over and he asks for Rookwood's help. Obviously, what else can you say? He agrees. Well, yeah. And he gets dismissed, but told to send Avery to him. So like we were saying, Avery is fucked. Avery gonna die. At least be very hurting. Oh, sir. Avery gonna wish he was dead if he's not already dead. Yeah. And after Rookwood leaves the room, Harry is alone in this dark room and he just sort of starts looking around, catches a mirror and walks towards it. And as he gets close enough to see his reflection in it, he sees that skull white face with the red eyes with the slits for pupils and wakes up screaming. On one hand, okay, yes, I get the waking up screaming. On the other hand, could you really not figure out from context clues who you were, Harry? Right. Like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I don't know that he didn't realize that's who it was. It was probably just jarring. Sure. Okay. <sighs> Actually, he woke up going, no! And then yeah. he gets himself all tangled in his bed hangings, which, what the hell were you doing, Harry? Like, you have got to be a sleep thrasher. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> to get tangled in your bed hangings. And of course, Ron is up there now because there's always got to be a witness for when Harry has a freaky dream. Well, yeah, why not? And he tells him to stop acting like a maniac so he can get him untangled. Just chill the fuck out, would you? Not Shit. Get off, right? Exactly. Ron wants to know if someone's been attacked again. He's very concerned. Mm-hmm. especially since the last time Harry woke up from a dream like this, his dad was dying. Yeah. And Harry manages to gasp out a response because his scar is killing him. He is in a lot of pain. He still feels sick. He manages to say that everyone's fine. Well, except maybe Avery. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure does not clarify anything for Ron. But he says, Avery is going to be in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Voldemort is pissed. Avery misinformed him. Ron's just like, who the fuck is Avery? But it appears as though Voldemort is back on track now because Rookwood is going to be helping him out. Mm-hmm. And exactly. Ron's like, what are you talking about? Who's Avery? What, what are you talking? Did you just see you know who? Like, what's going on, guy? And Harry's just like, yes, Ron, that is exactly what just happened. How are you not picking up on this? <laughs> He specifically explains that he was you-know-who, and he was talking with Rookwood, who had just escaped Azkaban. Mm-hmm. And it was in this that he learned Bode could not have removed something that Malfoy's dad put the Imperious Curse on him to make him do so. That was a lot. Yeah. So this is like light switch moment for them. Because that something that Voldemort wants removed must be that weapon, even though 
all of that was just Sirius trying to vaguely explain it to him, and it really had nothing to do with a weapon to begin with, but yeah. we're not there yet. It's a whole thing, guys. But they can't really continue their conversation because Dean and Seamus come up to the dormitory to get ready for bed themselves, and they just kind of like whisper what they can, and Ron tells Harry he should tell somebody, and Harry's just like, fuck them. I'm not telling anybody. I also wasn't even supposed to see this. <laughs> so... Just going back to bed. Turns his back to Ron. I get where he's coming from on that, but he should still tell someone. Like Dumbledore, or probably not Dumbledore, maybe even Snape. I know they don't have that relationship, but like, I swear I am trying, but my mind feels weaker from these Occlumency practices. It's very difficult to close my mind. I did not mean to have this dream, but I saw this. And then Snape would probably say exactly what he says to him later on. But, you know, maybe he shouldn't have told anybody. Maybe maybe <laughs> McGonagall. Maybe McGonagall. I feel like she'd, she'd she's pretty strict, too, though. I mean, she's strict, but I feel like she'd be more understanding. Possibly. I mean, more understanding than Snape, at least. Yeah, that's probably true. Anyway, Harry's trying to fall back asleep, and he just feels his scar light up like it's on fucking fire mm -hmm. because Avery is getting a dose of the bad stuff somewhere. Oh, yeah. Voldemort is... Pissed. He's pissed. <laughs> pissed. He's pissed, but you know what? Nothing makes him happier than causing pain. Yeah. So he's also probably pretty happy. It's cathartic. Everyone needs some catharsis in their life. Yeah. Maybe not this kind. Hey, if you find something that works. <laughs> Awkward. The For Fox Sake podcast does not in any way condone violence. <laughs> Anywho. They have to wait until their break the following morning so that they can tell Hermione without risking being overheard. They can't really talk in the classroom. Definitely not during breakfast. There's just too many people around. Oh, yeah. Especially with the article. Everyone's paying so much attention to yeah. Harry. I mean, too many looky-loos and whatnot. Oh, my God. You know that they're listening to every single conversation that he has in mm -hmm. just the hopes of hearing something else to oh, talk yeah. about. Yeah. And then there's Hermione being Hermione, who immediately clicks that this is why they killed Bode. Mm -hmm. whatever defensive spells were surrounding the weapon have to be what sent him to St. Mungo's. Yeah. Especially now knowing that he fought so hard not to touch it. Mm -hmm. There has to have been something that was protecting the item. And we yeah. will learn more about that later. There was more than just like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this. Right. It was like, no, here. no, 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 no. And the moment that he did touch it, it broke the Imperius curse. Yeah. So, yes, he was all like mentally woo when he went to St. Mungo's. But the healer said he was getting better and they could not risk that happening because mm -hmm. he would not be under the Imperius curse at that point. If and he'd, he'd regain yeah. the ability to speak, he could be like, Malboy did it. Yeah. He could point the fingers and we got to get rid of those fingers, man. Yep. And they did. They certainly and did. And then some. <laughs> <laughs> this starts a discussion between them about Nazi von Douchebag the first mm -hmm. hanging around the ministry and how he could have used any opportunity to sneak drop the Imperius curse on somebody that works there. Well, yeah, sure. Because he's always being a creeper and just like there. And yeah. Like... And Harry even remembers that he was there the day of his hearing. Mm -hmm. And he thought that that was to spy on Harry's hearing and see what the outcome was immediately. Yeah. But maybe he was there for more nefarious reasons. Right? I mean, who's to say that wasn't a little side trip for him, but... Because we also know that Harry saw Bode in the elevator. Mm-hmm. So something could have happened then. Yeah. 
It could have been going on for all that time, playing the long game. And he pretended like he was trying to meet up with the minister and find out about Harry's hearing Mm -hmm. as a cover story. True. I'm thinking that's plausible. It is. Hermione, however, isn't really fully listening to Harry. (laughs) What? Because she's just (laughs) lost in her own thoughts and all of a sudden goes, Sturgis! (laughs) And Ron just says, huh? Like you do. Like you do. (laughs) And Hermione just shouts something random. And Hermione clarifies... She means Sturgis Podmore, who was arrested for trying to get through a door. Oh, of course. And he was the one that had Mad-Eye Moody's invisibility cloak, but didn't show up to escort Harry to Hogwarts like he was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up finding out that he was arrested, and they were all super confused yeah, they're like, about what the why happened? he would be arrested if he was supposed to be on their side. Mm-hmm. And now Hermione's just like, hello, Nazi von Douchebag the first must have put the Imperious Curse on him, too. Mm-hmm. He tried to get through that door, got caught, was sent to Azkaban. I'm saying something's afoot at the Circle K. Yeah, things are all coming together. Mm-hmm. They're figuring shit out because they're meddlers. Mm, true. Hermione double checks with Harry that Rookwood has told Voldemort. She says, like, so he definitely told him how to get this weapon. And Harry just says, well, that's what it sounded like. I didn't hear the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And she nods in response to this. But then it's like somebody flicks a light switch in her head where she all of a sudden goes, but you shouldn't have seen this at all. And then she starts admonishing him for not closing his mind. And he's probably getting enough of that from Snape as it is. All right. We've already been through this. I've already heard the riot act. Just can we focus on the thing that I did see? Because I saw it. And that's exactly what Harry basically does say. But Hermione just shuts it down and says, you should forget about it. You weren't supposed to see it. You just need to put more effort into Occlumency. I mean, I get that. But at this, he's already seen it. Yeah. Why ignore it? And there's no way he could just forget it. Yeah. So what he does instead is just ignores her for the rest of the day. That would be my route. I'm not... (laughs) And apparently it's a day that sucks, which continues to be so throughout the week. So it's just shit like everybody's just talking about him and the escaped Death Eaters and Gryffindor sucking in the Quidditch match and all of the Slytherins singing Weasley is our king so loudly that Filch has to ban it. Because we've learned that banning things is the one way to get things to actually stop happening. Right? You know? Mm-hmm. On top of that, he gets more D's and potions. Hagrid's still probably going to be sacked. And, of course, as we already talked about, he can't not dwell on the dream. No. He can't. He can't. He just can't. You can't unsee something like this. Especially the moment that you say, Harry, no. Harry, yes. Exactly. Harry, all the goddamn yes. Yes. All of it. (laughs) Since he's not talking to Hermione at this point, I mean, throughout the week, I'm sure they start talking again. But now he doesn't really want to bring up the dream at all and Mm -mm. get that re-lecture. Which means he also can't really bring it up to Ron because, let's face it, we know that Ron sometimes goes and expresses his concern about Harry to Hermione. He keeps her in the loop. Well, yeah. Not always. There are definitely things that I'm sure they can talk about that he doesn't report to Hermione when it comes to Harry doing Harry things. When it comes to Harry harrying? Yes. Ron's gonna Ron. Ron's gonna Ron. Hermione's gonna Hermione. (laughs) That's exactly how that works. I mean... Anyway, he can't talk about it with them. Mm-mm. He desperately wishes that he could talk about it with Sirius, but he can't send him a letter or anything. Nope. So 
he just tries to push it to the back of his mind, which still is him thinking about it, but not on the forefront. Right. But that doesn't do him any good either because the back of his mind is not a safe place having occlumency lessons. No. Anything in the back of his mind is just going to be pulled right out of him. I say it's fair fucking game. Which is exactly what does happen when he's in occlumency with Snape. Mm-hmm. He's just, you know, wash of a stream of memories. And Snape actually stops bombarding him with them on his own when he sees that one and just wants to know why the fuck that man in that room is in Harry's head. Mm-hmm. Like, what's going on here, guy? Hold up. <laughs> we need to take a break because I need to know what... Why do you know this? Yeah. You are not supposed to know this. This is not supposed to be your memory. Yeah. Like, bro, did you harry again? Because I think you harried again. Harry totally harried again. Harry definitely harried again. And Snape knows it because Snape is snaping. <laughs> and <laughs> why is this my favorite thing ever now? <laughs> There's no other way to say it. It's right? just Snape is snaping. And Harry is harrying. And Harry has to admit that he was harrying. Yeah. And says that he had a dream, mm-hmm. which makes Snape do that Snape thing. Snape is snaping, yeah. Where he lowers his voice and says, do you know why we are here, Potter? At least I imagine that's how it happened. That took so long. I forgot what we were talking about. (laughs) Do you know why we're here? Do you know why we're here? Not anymore. No, because you (laughs) took forever to say that. I did last week, but... No, Harry knows what's going on. Tells him that he's there to learn Occlumency. And Snape's like, then why the fuck are you not making any progress? Yeah. How many other dreams have you had of the Dark Lord? Harry literally tries to tell him that it was just that one. It was not just that one. It was not just that one. Snape knows that it's not just that one. It's never just that one. Narrows his eyes and accuses him of enjoying the dreams, thinking that they make him feel special. Do they make you feel special and important, Potter? Ew. And Harry's like, no, I don't feel special. He's like, good, because you're not special. Wow. (laughs) Sir. He's like, it's not your job to find out what the Dark Lord is saying to his Death Eaters. And Harry's just like, you're right. It's not my job. It's your job. Yeah. Where were you on that one, dipshit? (laughs) To which Snape says, you're right. It is my job. Should we get back to work? Oh, this is just... A recipe for disaster is what this is. This is a recipe for entertaining television. That's what this is. Except (laughs) that we didn't get this. No, we didn't. Because... Oh my god, ew, David. So, because Snape suggests starting again, Harry actually has time to... Screw up his face in concentration. <laughs> and he is again bombarded by a bunch of memories, starting with the Dementors gliding towards him over the lake. Even though he's seeing that and that's traumatizing as fuck, mm-hmm. he can also still see Snape. That's progress. Yes. And Snape is getting clearer and mm-hmm. clearer. So Harry raises his wand and shouts Protego. And shit's about to go down. What ends up happening is it forces Snape's wand up and away from Harry. And Harry is again bombarded by a bunch of memories, but this time they appear to be Snape's memories. He sees a hook-nosed man shouting at a cowering woman. 
There's a small dark haired boy crying in the corner during this. Sure. Then a greasy haired teenager who's sitting alone in a dark room just shooting down flies with his wand. Like you do. Pleasant. Yeah. And then there's a girl laughing as a scrawny boy is trying to mount a bucking broom. Hmm. I wonder who that guy is. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Doesn't specifically say, but I think we can Hermione this and figure out that these are, in fact, Snape's memories. I'm pretty sure I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Especially since Snape yells enough and Harry actually feels like somebody just shoves him in the chest and he falls backwards and breaks a potion on the shelf behind him. So he's not happy that this happened. That's an understatement. It's another indication that this might be things that Snape didn't necessarily want Harry to see about him. No, no. Interesting point, though. Juliana just asked, is Snape using an unforgivable curse to shoot down the flies in those memories? Interesting. I was kind of wondering if maybe he was just stunning them and that's why they fell. Maybe. Or is that the beginning of his practicing his unforgivables? I mean, he's still a child at that point, so I don't know. But it is possible that he was. It is. I mean, he still has the trace on him. I guess he could have been 17, but it just said teenager. So I would assume he'd still have the trace on him and they would then know that somebody in that house was doing an unforgivable curse. Theoretically. But he could get away with stunning. True. Because it's still a magical house. So it's... uh, Let's go with stunning. Yeah. So even though he's pretty angry that Harry has now seen his memories. Mm -hmm. Understandably. He also just repairs the potion that broke and tells Harry that was definitely an improvement, which is damn near a compliment. That is as close to a compliment as you're going to get. From Snape? Absolutely. Yeah. Because Snape's going to Snape. Snape is going to Snape. And I mean, the fact that Harry refrained from being like, hey, where was your occlumency on that? (laughs) (laughs) Like... (laughs) That says quite a bit, so... I mean, Harry's not Ravenclaw, but he's also not stupid. (laughs) I mean... But then Harry is going to Harry. But he is going to sass. Yeah. Because Harry I'm actually a little disappointed that he didn't, but maybe he just knew better for once. I don't know. Maybe he's just so shocked that he saw Snape's memories and doesn't know what to make of them. His sass just kind of got a little deflated. True. Maybe that's what happened true snape wants him to try again but this time harry is too caught up with said memories yeah to prepare himself quick enough so when he gets hit with legilimens for the third or fourth or however many times this evening he just immediately goes into a memory of himself going down that corridor at the department of mysteries Mm -hmm. but what's really crazy is this time the door is open and he goes through it that hasn't happened before It's never happened in a dream. This is not a memory that he should have. Yeah, this is new and different. So he finds himself in a room. It's a circular room. The walls are lined with even more doors and he doesn't know where to go next. Mm -hmm. And he's standing in this room looking at the doors, just shocked because this is a place he's been trying to get to for months. Yeah. And he's only brought out of it when Snape is yelling his name. When he opens his eyes, he realizes he's not in standing in this circular room with all of the doors. He's actually <laughs> lying flat on his back and has no idea how he got there. That would be a little concerning. Sure. Yeah. And when Snape asks him what happened, what was going on there, Harry has no idea mm-hmm. because he has 
dreamed that department before, but he has never, ever made it through that door. So he does not know how he was able to see that. Snape's guess is as good as Harry's at yeah, this point. The only thing I can figure is that his mind was weakened enough that when Snape hit him with legilimens, it sent him to Voldemort's mind. Possibly. Because we know Voldemort got through the door last time. Yeah. We just know that Harry woke up before he got to witness it. Mm -hmm. So maybe he just got sent to his mind and pulled on his memory or something. Maybe. Or maybe even though he woke up, the connection was still there and it just like really buried the rest of it in his head, but he didn't actively see it. Possibly. Something. There's a lot of ifs and maybes and therefores and why nots, but... Harry gonna Harry. Harry Snape gonna Harry. Snape, Snape <laughs> gonna Snape. Exactly. And Snape does Snape because he tells him that he's not working hard enough, that he's lazy and sloppy. Mm. But Snape was Snape. Sure. He starts to talk about the Dark Lord. Like, this is why the Dark Lord has such an easy time getting into your mind and stuff like that. But Harry gonna Harry and just full on interrupts him to say, how come you call him the Dark Lord instead of Voldemort? The only other people who call him the Dark Lord are murder munchers. Well, looks like his sass finally caught up. Yep. <laughs> and Snape does not have an opportunity to Snape in return mm -hmm. because they are interrupted by a woman screaming. That would interrupt a lot of things. Yeah, yes. Sure. They look around. They have no idea for sure where it's coming from. They're like looking up through the ceiling. Was that above? Like that has to be a hell of a loud scream to be heard down in the dungeons. Mm -hmm. Snape wants to know if Harry passed anything unusual on his way to the lessons. And Harry's like, no, I have no idea what's going on. So when they hear the scream again, he just strides out of his office and Harry hesitates and then is like, oh, no, I'm going to Harry and follows <laughs> after him. <laughs> should I go? I probably shouldn't go. I should probably stay here. Wait, who the fuck am I again? Definitely going to go. Yeah, I'm going to go. <laughs> So they make their way up the steps out of the dungeon into the entrance hall, which is packed with students that have come out of the great hall and just sort of collected in this area. Mm -hmm. This is kind of how the movie scene started. It was just, you know, like a really long time before this. Yeah. And they were in the courtyard area instead of the entrance hall. Yeah. But it is sort of a similar setup, what we're getting to. Everybody mm -hmm. gathered around, somebody freaking out. Yeah. We don't have Harry and Cho together for this. No. Harry's actually kind of by himself at this point because you know he's not standing next to Snape going, wonder what's yeah. going on, bud? <laughs> what's going on? Can you see anything? I can't see anything. Can you see anything? Hey, Snape, can you lift me up? Can you put me on your shoulders? Put me on your shoulders. <laughs> but just like in the movie, the screaming person is Professor Trelawney. Mm-hmm. Ding. I haven't gotten to say that in so long. I know. <laughs> Different from the movie is that she has her wand out in one hand and an empty sherry bottle in the other. Trelawney gonna Trelawney. <laughs> <laughs> and she looks disheveled AF. I mean, she's a little distraught. Yeah, her life is unraveling at this point. And she has been dealing with the stress of Pepto Bitch Mall for months now. Yeah. To say that everything is coming to a head is an understatement, I think. It's not good. Mm -mm. So the screaming was just, you know, the general no. And mm -hmm. her saying that this can't be happening. She refuses to accept it. Mm -hmm. And then we got Pepto Bitch Mall, who's gonna bitch mall. Yeah. Tells her word for word 
you didn't realize this was coming? Incapable though you are of predicting even tomorrow's weather, you must surely have realized that your pitiful performance during my inspections and lack of any improvement would make it inevitable that you would be sacked. I mean, that shit was cold. <laughs> Holy fuck. Bitch mall's gonna bitch mall. Yeah. Bitch mall's gonna bitch. Oh, she was putting the bitch in bitch mall. For sure. In response to this, Trelawney just again shrieks, mm -hmm. insists that she can't sack her. She's been there 16 years and Hogwarts is her home. Which is basically what she said in the movie as well. Yeah, we're getting dingy-ish here. Mm -hmm. Bitch Mall tells her that it was her home until an hour ago when the minister signed the order for her dismissal. Again, cold. So cold. And similar to the movie, but the movie was not... She wasn't this cold. No, the streamlining. The streamlining really took this away, I think. Yeah. This is another instance, I think, of us not getting the full bitch mall effect in the movie. Yeah. The same way we've talked about how Snape wasn't as bad in the movie. Like, he was bad, but he wasn't as bad. Umbridge is bad. She's bad in the movie, sure. But she's really bad in the books. But the book. Ugh. Fuck me, man. Like... This had me, like, traumatized. Yeah. And it wasn't even me getting fired. Yeah. Like, come on, man. To make it even worse, she then tells her just to get the fuck out because now she's embarrassing them all. Because, yeah, bitch mall gone bitch mall. Yeah. And even though she's saying that she's embarrassing them and telling herself to remove herself from the hall, you can tell she's also enjoying all of this. Oh, she loves it. <laughs> she loves it she's taking a perverse enjoyment yeah. out of this and i will say imelda staunton definitely gave that vibe in this scene in the movie mm -hmm. yeah she just didn't get the opportunity to take it this far exactly and she could have she could have she could she could have had us all shaking in our boots oh yeah but she wasn't given that so we get what we get Harry hears other sobs and looks around and sees Parvati and Lavender crying because they love no her. Shock. They yeah. worship her. And he then hears footsteps. And at this point, it's McGonagall mm -hmm. that pushes her way through the crowd. And up to this point, she had just been watching the whole thing. Like, the whole thing is very distasteful. Yeah. Which it is. Yeah. But she approaches Professor Trelawney and tells her, it's okay. Calm down. Blow your nose. You are not going to have to leave Hogwarts. Yeah, we're going to figure this out. And that's basically how it happened in the movie, yeah. Slightly different. Mm -hmm. In the book, Umbridge wants to know what authority McGonagall has to make that statement. Mm -hmm. And instead of McGonagall answering that, this is when Dumbledore gets to make his grand entrance and says, that would be on my authority. Boom! And this is where it really changes in the way that makes me angry. Mm-hmm. Because Dumbledore walks in through the oak front doors, which is an even better entrance than him just wandering into the courtyard. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing that happens here. Umbridge kind of laughs in that unpleasant way that she does and mm -hmm. tells him that she's afraid he doesn't understand the position that she has here. I love anytime somebody, especially Pepto Bitch Mall, tries to undermine and outsmart Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And Dumbledore just Dumbledores them. Right? <laughs> you know? 
Especially since he just smiles and lets her <laughs> think she's about to outsmart him. Mm-hmm, like, go on. She just unrolls the order of dismissal that she and the minister signed that under the terms of educational decree number 23, the High Inquisitor has the power to sack any teacher that isn't up to scratch. Which was our trivia question. Mm-hmm. And Harry is super shocked because here he is being Harry and thinking that Pepto Bitch Mall just owned Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. But Dumbledore is still smiling. Yeah. Harry doesn't have quite the uh, confidence in Dumbledore that he should at this no. point. <laughs> and as Dumbledore smiles, he says, oh, you're quite right. As High Inquisitor, you have every right to dismiss my teachers. Mm-hmm. You do not have the authority to send them away from the castle as that power still resides with the headmaster. And it's my wish that Professor Trelawney continues to live here at Hogwarts. Boom. Mic drop. Yeah. And this did happen in the movie, too. We were missing the smile. We were missing the smile. He was not confident in the movie moment. Uh, he was just serious scene. about yeah. it. Yeah. He was just... Yeah, you can do this, but you don't have the power to do this. So. And what's even more annoying is then in the movie, Umbridge says, for now. Mm -hmm. And she's smiling. And she's smiling. And Dumbledore says absolutely nothing back, just walks away and then yells at the students, which yeah. is so un-Dumbledore, the entire thing makes me incredibly irate. I think the thing that makes me the most angry about that is not only does he not say anything he looks around like oh i'm just gonna go no like, and in this book chapter pepto bitch mom doesn't even come close to owning dumbledore the way they made it look no. like she did in the movie we also there was a little part in the book where professor trelawney tries to insist that she will leave and just seek her fortune elsewhere mm -hmm. and dumbledore again insists no you are staying here. And they didn't include that in the movie. And it is kind of important because of why he wants her to stay there. And we learned that later. Yeah. But why would the movie keep that in? That just seems silly. It's <laughs> just a setup for something that apparently they didn't think we needed. I don't know. I've got it figured out, Ellen. What's that? Because the movie's going to movie. Because <laughs> <laughs> Yates is going to Yates. Yates is going to Yates. <laughs> Book's gonna book, movie's gonna movie. Yeah. <laughs> so in the book, he asks McGonagall to escort Sybil back upstairs. Mm -hmm. Which does basically happen in the movie. Slightly different timeline yeah, happening it's throughout. It's just kind of, yeah, things move differently. And what I love about the book scene, too, is Professor Sprout also jumps forward to help. Mm -hmm. And Professor Flitwick does a little charm on her trunks so that they'll just raise up in the air and follow behind him and he just leads them yeah so she has so much more support from teachers yeah but this is why it makes me so mad because mm -hmm. that's just the end of the movie scene yeah it cuts off with dumbledore yelling at the students don't you all have work to do and looking like pepto bitch Maud just fucking owned him yeah he looks pissed off but when you look at the chapter Dumbledore won this round oh, yeah. so hard because it's Pepto Bitch Mall who's pissed at him mm -hmm. because he found the loophole. He's got the loophole. Yeah. He owned her saying, no, you can't tell her she has to leave. I want her to stay here. So she's trying to argue back at him. She's super upset. Yeah. She's trying to win. Mm hmm. And is just not as good at the game as Dumbledore is because her counterpoint is, what are you going to do when I appoint a new divination teacher and they need her lodgings? Seems like it might be a good point. Maybe. 
I mean, it's an interesting thought, sure. Until Dumbledore Dumbledores. Right? And pleasantly informs her that he has already found a new divination teacher, and this teacher would prefer to be on the ground floor. Hmm. Wonder why he didn't say that in the movie. I don't even want to think about it. It's traumatizing that this didn't happen in the movie. I know. It's so bad. Beautiful on so many levels. And you know that Pepto Bitchmall knows that she's losing this argument Mm -hmm. because her voice is getting higher. Oh, yeah. And she tries in a very high pitched voice to challenge the fact that Dumbledore appointed a new teacher when she is the high inquisitor and educational decree number 22 gives the ministry the right to appoint a candidate. I mean, yeah, sure it does. However, as Dumbledore cuts her off. Yeah, you have the right to appoint a candidate if and only if the headmaster can't find one. And I found one. Mm-hmm. So fuck you. Yeah. Bitch, I already did that job. Yeah. And then he says, allow me to introduce you to him. <sighs> and the oak front doors, which have been left open this whole time for this exact moment. You know that he planned this to be exactly as it was. Oh, yeah. He strode in, left the doors wide open, just waiting for the moment to mic drop that he hired a fucking centaur. Mm-hmm. Right under the nose of a woman who hates half-breeds. Yes. Which they aren't even half-breeds. They're not but half-breeds. Whatever. But yeah. Because they're... she thinks they are. Yeah. He knew. He 100 thousand percent knew that this would piss her off so 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 much oh my god i mean and i'm not gonna say he did it anyway i'm gonna say he did it cuz he did yeah he didn't do it anyway he did that's why he did it that was his entire logic behind it and like i said centaur walks in the door <sighs> clomping hooves mm-hmm and Harry looks at the door to see a very familiar face with white blonde hair, bright blue eyes. As we said, centaur, so head and torso of a man joined to the body of a Palomino horse. Mm-hmm. And Dumbledore. She puts on his shades. Puts on his fucking <laughs> shades. Dumbledore Dumbledores. Mm-hmm. At the peak of Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. And says, this is Ferenz. I think you'll find him suitable. Mic drop. Or should I say wand drop? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this is how the chapter ends. Because where can you go from here? Where do you go? That, oh, it's an excellent ending to a chapter. It's perfect. It really is. It's perfect. And somebody thought this wasn't necessary for the film. It would have added 30 more seconds to the scene. It would have added 30 more seconds. Maybe a minute. And so much more happiness. So much more happiness. But no, we blew our centaur budget on the fucking first film with the weird little goat men. It's just sad. It is sad. It's sad. It's sad and it's angering and... A movie's gonna movie, but fuck movie sometimes. And Ellen and Katie are gonna Ellen and Katie. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Ellen's gonna Ellen, Katie's gonna Katie. And you know what? Fuck this noise. But at least we have the book. We do. At least we can go back and read this section because it is just mwah. I mean, yes, we had movie scenes, but there are movie scenes we already talked about. We've already discussed everybody in them, so we didn't have any new people to talk about. Certainly not a certain centaur that should have been there. Should have been there. 
But no, we didn't. So that being said, we're going to move right on to our Potter pondering. Which is, what are your thoughts on the changes of Trelawney's firing from book to movie and the fact that the movie left out the hiring of Ferenz? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Jennifer Aaron. She writes, I'm Ravenclaw. My wand is a redwood wand with a unicorn hair core, and my Patronus is a cat, which is very fitting. I didn't initially have an interest in reading the Harry Potter books as I was in high school when the first book was released. At that time, I was far too busy creating overexposed pictures of myself for my MySpace and wallowing in teenaged angst, which unfortunately carried over to college. Bunk never dies! At any rate... My mom and sister read the books first and told me they both enjoyed them, so around my senior year of high school and freshman year of college, I dove in and was swept away. I distinctly remember having a bootlegged copy of The Deathly Hallows because I was unable to get a copy when it was released and I just couldn't wait to read it. As a scientist, it should come as no surprise that I was sorted into Ravenclaw. It's appropriate, me and Luna being wise and weird... Ellen and I dressed up as Ginny, her, and Ron, me, when Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince came to theaters. I let Ellen part my hair down the middle and pin the rest back to make it look as much like Ron hair as possible. Oh, aside from the fact that my sister and I celebrated her 30th birthday by visiting the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Florida. She also kicked me so hard on that trip I fell over in a hallway. Aren't siblings the best? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they are. Thank you so much for sharing your Sorting Hat story with us, Jennifer. And for everybody else, please enjoy the picture of her looking like Ron that I put into her Sorting Hat story post for the day after. (laughs) Yes, thank you very much. And thank you for that, Ellen. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty fantastic. She does a really good Ron face. (laughs) And if any of you other keepers out there listening would like us to read your Sorting Hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at for fuck's sake podcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what is Harry teaching the DA when Seamus comes to his first meeting? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word, hashtag definitely something Harry, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag 
access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon, because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 27, the centaur and the sneak, and the sort of corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calm and hairy on! Oh, for fuck's sake.